Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims to put Stokes this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Welcome to another episode of the Saints FC podcast. Um, I'm John Bailey and I'm joined uh, on my right hand side by Mr. Tom Parker. Hello everyone. Hello Tom. Um, As always, if you do want to get in contact with the show, uh, you can do so by emailing us saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com or you can get us on Twitter at saintsfcpodcast or you can leave us a a review in iTunes or whatever app that you you get your podcasting uh, delights from. So, Tom, I think last time we spoke, um, we basically spent most of the episode talking about the Buffal Wondergoal. We'd just beaten uh, West Bromwich Albion and we were looking ahead to kind of two... I suppose, you know, relatively easy games with a, and a trip down to Brighton, uh, which I think you called that we would win. As always. Yeah, and um, I think uh, the next game against Burnley, I don't know if we did actually do bother doing a prediction for that, but, I mean, what would you expect us to do at home against Burnley? You'd expect, of course you'd expect us to win. In fact, so much so that... Um, you went and actually bought a ticket and Absolutely. headed down to St. Mary's. So normally you head down for the West Brom game in terms of the kind of like unappealing games to go and watch at St. Mary's. You normally pick Saints West Brom, which you didn't do this year. No, I skipped that because that nothing interesting was going to happen in that game. Yeah, and quite rightly so. <laughs> and instead you, you went to the game against Burnley. You know, rather than going through this uh, chronologically, should we just start with a game against Burnley? It's fresh in our minds. Uh, you were there. Sadly. Maybe maybe you can give me a little rundown of what your experience of the day, what you thought of the game. There was real optimism, I think, going into the game um, off a little mini unbeaten run. Um, it did feel that, you know, maybe we, we still weren't scoring goals, but we were playing much more positively. Um, and then it, it kind of, we start, I mean, the, the weird thing was, is the play, the team played well. I think apart from a couple of notable exceptions, the team as a unit played well. They played much more positively. They played with pace. Um, they played with great initiative against what is actually a very good, um, very strong Burnley team. But unfortunately, you saw all of the problems that we have uh, in terms of penetration, in terms of scoring goals, in terms of really working goalkeepers, uh, and in terms of confidence that you kind of see in all season. Yeah. So, I mean... I did actually watch this one uh, live as it happened, um, but through uh, you know various means on the World Wide Web, um, and it, I mean it, it was a little bit more positive. I, I totally agree with you that that you know once again we dominated possession. We did create quite a few chances. We had quite a few shots. Even got a couple on target. So we actually tested uh, Burnley's reserve goalkeeper, uh, Mr. Pope. Um, I remember Buffal getting a kind of volley which he hit into the ground during the first half, uh, particularly kind of stood out as quite a good opportunity. It was a great uh, chance for Yoshida yeah. in the second. I think 
Redmond and uh, yeah, Re- Redmond had quite a few chances. Bertrand well. had a couple. Bertrand's actually probably our most attacking threat. Yeah, and, and Redmond was quite industrious as well. He was getting himself about. And um, I did actually, you know, despite having watched the game live and the full ninety minutes, I did, you know, go for a little bit more punishment and watch it on match of the day as well. And from the highlights. You know, you could see that Redmond was involved in a lot. We looked quite good going forward. We were creating chances. But again, there was that thing that was lacking. We, Despite creating chances, the chances we created didn't always necessarily feel like, you know, really good chances. And they're not falling to the right people. If you look like Gabbiadini's actually not getting many of these shots. No. Something we'll come to later. But he's actually not getting many shots the, the the chances are falling to players who historically do not have the best goal records they're falling to Bertrand they're falling uh, to Redmond to Tadic. um they're not kind of you know our center forward is not the one who actually is on the end of these things and it's it's a bit of a conundrum yeah and so much so I mean we, we got to the second half and you know, after Burnley took the lead, went 1-0 up with Sandvax, lots of Saints fans started actually leaving the stadium, which is quite unusual in the 80th minute to start leaving the stadium when you're only one goal down. I mean, normally that's the kind of thing that you might do if you're two or three goals down, things are looking really, really hopeless. But to kind of be there at the game, have 10 minutes to go and be so confident that you're not going to get an equaliser that you leave the stadium, that's that's pretty bad news, isn't it? I, th- I think it was a couple of things. I think there was the the positivity and, and the speed and the tenacity which Saints played. And some of the players did play very, very well. Davis was excellent. Um, Bertram was really good. Redmond was, you know, after a shaky start, was was very good. There, there were positives. Um, Romeo was excellent. I, I think that the, the problem we had was it was the horrible inevitable, the crushing inevitability of it all. And... Saints played a very effective system where they built up from the back uh, with Van Dyke, and it was beautiful. it was very nice to watch. Every time Burnley got the ball, they lost it. We just came back at them, and then at about seventy minutes, uh, Sean Dyke does a really clever substitution. He he, he brings on uh, Man Mountain Sam Vokes. All of a sudden, they go to a four four two, and because they've got an extra man up front, we can't play it leisurely out from the back. They start harassing the centre backs as soon as they get the ball, and Saints fell to pieces. And I think that what you saw was a, a kind of horribly inevitable goal. But I think that people leaving was almost like a, a it was a sign. I, I I think it was it was the worst atmosphere I've ever seen at St Mary's. Um, the crowd, I think, have, have turned. And I think people were leaving a because they thought they were not going to score, and b they wanted to send a sim- they wanted to send a signal, and I think they did that. Okay, um, so I mean, should we let, let's analyse kind of what happened here in the game? Then um, the key moment is, of course, the Sam Vokes. Uh, had a Sam Vokes. Uh, he's a man, I think, from Southampton. Yeah, he's friends with uh, my mum and dad. Yeah, uh, his mum Penny. Penny Vokes, Penny friends Vokes. friends with your parents. Um, Southampton fan and he comes on the pitch and you know lo and behold I mean mean, it seems that the players that have some sort of pass with Southampton do love to score against us but it it was inevitable it was almost okay so the cross came in from a slightly different area but not too different but very similar to the goal that we conceded to Glenn Murray yeah very I mean if you look as well it's even the the precursor is the same because it's the big centre forward peeling off the big centre back to find someone who's a bit shorter and Glenn Murray obviously did it to brilliant effect against Cedric Suarez and you saw Sam Vokes who is a size he's a tank 
uh, go up against, you know, Yoshida is no slouch, but Sam Vokes is a giant. And, and it was the, the goal seemed to happen in slow motion because the goal goes back across Foster. And I've, yeah. I can't actually bring myself to watch it again yet, but, uh, and it was just this sort of thing of like, that can't go in, can it? Because it almost seemed to go so slowly and so close to Foster, but, um, it did. And, and, Burnley went nuts and it was it was a horrible moment I think time must have slowed down for you because if you do watch it back it was a very good header it, no it looked like a good header don't yeah. get me wrong it looked like the the angle and the geometry of it was perfect uh, I mean, yeah, it just he, wasn't a bullet no it wasn't a bullet but it it was perfectly picked out you know if you're a striker that was your kind of side foot shot you've picked your spot you've put it in one of the places which is unreachable by the goalkeeper however having said that it did move a little bit slowly and Forster kind of didn't look ready for it again, which was similar to you know, what happened uh, against Brighton when we considered the goals Glenn Murray. Forster kind of seems to get caught a little bit cold in these situations. He doesn't seem to be on his toes and ready He's to react. It's, the crowd got on in the first half. I mean, the key, I think that one of the most frustrating things about Southampton this season is that defensively, uh, we're actually not conceding many goals. Um, that that is the we're losing games we're not conceding many goals what is happening is teams are getting one chance and we saw it against Brighton and we saw it against Burnley one chance on target equals a goal yeah and that is, if you're the outfield players it's going to surely going to drive you mad I uh, absolutely and it is so frustrating because we know previously that Fraser Forster has been one of those goalkeepers who could have 10 shots thrown at him in the day in a game and only concede one or even none in some of his best best games. So for him to be conceding everything that he faces is really, it's really upsetting, really frustrating. And I think, you know, you're right. It, it felt so inevitable when it happened. Yeah, the, 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 Forster made a mistake in the first half. The crowd sort of laughed at it a bit. As it wore on, I think Forster was getting, I was sat in the Northam, which is where we like to sit, and God, Forster was getting some grief. Um, and Taddick got, you know, Taddick got loads of stick. And when that, when it came up, Taddick was being substituted. He, you'd not seen him run so fast all season. He sprinted off that pitch. I, I think they've probably got a real problem there with the players now know that the crowd is against them, certain players. And that, that you know, it could be a, a real negativity that spreads. Yeah. I, uh, and, and what's you know what's the way to uh, to respond to that? I mean, you'd hope that we just need to get a game at St Mary's where the players go out hell for leather, get an early goal, get the fans on their side, and actually go and score two, three, four goals. And if they spank Everton, it will it will look different. Um, but you know, I'm just looking here. Um, a, res- a resurgent you know. Everton with possibly you know a new manager and post. Yeah, sure. Um, even potentially Sean Dyche. <laughs> but if you look here, we failed to score in nine of our last 12, 12 Premier League games at home. Yeah, you know, we, it's a dire record, um, and it doesn't really look any better. And Gabby Dini like kind of looks lost in this system. Charlie Austin came along, ran around a bit. Came along, you know, came for twenty odd minutes, ran around a lot, didn't do anything. It's still not clear where the goals are coming from. Um, one positive though is, is Buffal is a, is a genius and can do things with the football that we've not seen anyone do since Matt Lattis and they just need to keep him on the pitch as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, he, he can be a bit of a passenger. I mean, certainly I've watched him before, certainly in some games last season where I saw him on the pitch and I just felt he wasn't really interested in the rest of the game. Um, 
he seems to have got a little bit more fight in him and, and seems to be putting in a bit more of an effort to be a, a team player as well as he's being, being the talented. Yeah, yeah he, he, he's definitely bulked up. He's definitely more conscious of his defensive responsibilities. He's also very conscious of the fact that tackling back wins fans over. Yeah. Um, he was really good against Burnley. Some of the bits of skill were outrageous. He deserved more from the game. Yeah. Um, talking about kind of tackling winning fans over, there was one point in the first half where we won the ball back in Burnley's half. And it was it was so exciting to see. It was like the Southampton pressing of old, of like Kuman and Pochettino. And it just, I think Davis managed to make a little interception. It was in between their box and the, and the centre circle. And suddenly with that quick turnover, we had the ball in their half, in an attacking situation, all of our players up. And it's, I, I think this is almost kind of the thing that is so hard to take with watching Southampton now, is having watched Southampton under Pochettino and Koeman, where we were always trying to win the ball back in the opponent's half, which is just, it's the kind of great headless chicken, guts out football that that makes you really excited and really passionate and, and it gives the players a chance to show that, you know, their energy levels and passion. But the way that we're playing now is not like that. And when we're defending, we don't seem to be leaving enough players up even for the quick counter-attack. You know, when yeah. we have a counter-attacking opportunity, it seems to just happen so slowly. It's glacial, yeah. the pace that, that we move up the pitch. I think you raise a really good point there because there was a couple of moments in there, a couple of opportunities where I think uh, Burnley had corners or attacking free kicks and we didn't leave anyone up on the halfway line. You know, even like a Redmond, you know, that has got pace and could cause you problems on the break. Um, everyone came back. It was... You wonder what the instructions and my dad and uncle had spoke about it loads. Like, are they, are they so professional that they just play to exactly the game plan they're given? Or can they not just do their own thing? I, I'm getting to think it's the former. Yeah, I, I do wonder because we have seen Saints players get dropped this season after, uh, matches where they've seemingly done Okay. I mean, James Ward-Prowse was dropped after the game against Brighton, despite the fact that it was, you know, really his free kick that, that made the goal for Southampton. So, uh, you know, we, we got a goal from a, a set piece, essentially. I mean, Stephen Davis followed up the James Ward-Prowse free kick very cleverly. But Wesley Hoyt was dropped. Yeah. Against... And Wesley Hoyt was uh, dropped, you know, from Brighton for the game against Burnley. I don't know. Was he to blame? Was he out of position when Glenn Murray had kind of slunk back and found Suarez. I mean, perhaps that was his punishment, was being dropped. I, don't, I mean, we know that Burnley are going to do one thing, which is they're a very big physical team. It seemed very strange. As good a player as Yoshida is, and again, Yoshida played very well, and there's no criticism mm. of him, but it just seems very strange. Do players know that they're going to play? Certain players seem to play no matter what. Which yeah. is we spoke about at length, particularly Tadic. You know, he seems undroppable. Um, it just seems... There's a real malaise around the team at the moment. There was a, a very interesting article in the Daily Echo that I read last week where Oriol Romeo had done an interview with the Echo. And he mentioned um, that it wasn't as easy for Saints to kind of express themselves going forward. And he said part of the reason was is that Pellegrino wants them to be very kind of considerate of the position that they should be in when the opposition win the ball back. So even when we're attacking, our players are supposed to have in the backs of their minds, well, what position do I need to be in when 
the opposition win the ball back and then start attacking. And I wonder if that means that our players are playing, you know, in a slightly restricted manner. You know, when we're breaking out fast, you know, when you have a really quick counterattack, nobody's thinking about oh, what's going to happen when we lose the ball. Um, I've got to make sure I'm in position. You're thinking, I've got to get up to the box as fast as I possibly can because we're going to have an opportunity to score here. And that that really kind of actually worried me was reading that interview because I don't want our players to, you know, obviously they're professionals, so I don't want them to all... 11 of them run forward or all 10 of them run forward chasing you know a half chance but surely you want your midfielders and your attackers and your wingers to actually be pouring forward and that's when you have the great opportunities on the counter-attack yeah I think it was a it wasn't a very hot at this stage of the season and Saints playing as they're playing it wasn't perhaps you know the best message to send to the fan base you can imagine the PR team at Saints probably weren't hoping that would be the headliner of that. What should have been a relatively soft interview. Um, it, it's worrying. They, it, it, maybe it's a, a, maybe it's a signal to Pellegrino, you know, it's a sort of, you know, the a very polite way of saying that we need to change things up a little bit. Um, but it, it, it is worrying that 11, 12 games into the season, this kind of attitude is sort of starting to set. And, and I think now teams are just too good for us to play around them you know like we're not good enough at playing around teams and teams that we do try and play around are, are too smart to it yeah um and i think we're being even newly promoted teams and i think that's what's catching us out a little bit a lot of the teams that we've been playing and getting draws and losses to and scraping past wins are ones that two years ago you'd have probably expected us to just kind of bat away yeah okay obviously you have slip-ups but you would expect us to beat the Burnleys, beat the Stokes, beat the Brighton. I mean, certainly any newly promoted teams you would hope that we would do well against. It doesn't always work out that way, I understand. But I never, I, it's been a long time since I've felt kind of like going to the games where you don't have that real excitement and expectation of beating teams like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I left, um, I left St. Mary's, you know, thinking I wasn't sure when I was going to go back. It really was like quite. A, the atmosphere was was pretty febrile. It was pretty nasty in there, and I think for the first time ever, you're seeing uh, fans openly questioning the commitment of players, um, which I've not really seen. You know, you don't really see that before. We've always had kind of a bunch that people feel are quite hungry. Yeah. Uh, but you are seeing more and more people question commitment, um, particularly of certain players, and that is 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 worrying. So what do you think? Do you think the players are committed? I think they're playing the wrong system. I, I think that we're playing, I don't know, I don't know what the central striker's job is in that system, in that he's not a f fox in the box, like uh, we were talking about Ineacho earlier. Um, he's not a big lump. He's not good in the air. You know, Gabby Dini is a very good player, but I wonder if he's cut out to playing up front by himself. And then I think fundamentally we come back to the goalkeeper. He looks totally bereft of confidence. And he looks like anything that's on target that's that's difficult is going to go in. And that must not be good for the rest of the team. I mean, yeah. I mean what would your changes be? Um, I think that there is a fundamental issue with the way that we're playing. And I don't necessarily know if it's the system or the formation, because the system and the formation is not all that dissimilar. Um 
to the way that we've played in previous seasons. But I think there's something about the way that Pellegrino is speaking to his players that makes them play in this slightly more restrictive manner. And I don't think it is just a hangover of, you know, from Claude Puel. I think this is, I mean, Pellegrino has been, how many games are we into the Premier League now? Is it 11 or is it 12? I think we're 11 in now. Um, So you'd expect him to start, you know, being able to make his mark on the team. After 11 games of Pochettino, it was very, very clear that there was a different method or different style of play being implemented. Um, so you would expect Pellegrino's probably made his mark. Or he's, he's got his players kind of working to his tactics and it's not working at the moment. That That is plain to see. For all the Saints fans that have watched us over the last like five or six years, this is probably the worst in terms of kind of like a system, I think, that I've seen us play. It just looks like we're so one-dimensional. There's a neat tiki-taka, you know, lovely one-two touch, gets to the wing, cross it, cross doesn't beat the first man, cross gets cleared. Gabby Dini's not a big lump, he can't barge people out of the way. Um, it just seems very one-dimensional. And the worrying thing is, is we've got probably the best spine of a Saints team. You know, I think if you look at Forster when he's good, Van Dyke. Hoyt, uh, Romeo and Lamina, those are, those are as good a players on their day, maybe Forster aside, that you'll find in any team outside the top six. And, and we don't seem to be able to turn them into champions. And that is quite worrying. So are the strikers up to the job? Is that the issue? Is it the strikers? Is it the attackers, the wingers, the, the forwards, whatever you want to call them? Well, no one's scoring goals. Yeah, if you look at our team historically over the last few years, midfielders have not chipped in with goals. Um, Davis is a tremendously creative player, gets in great positions. You're lucky to get three goals a season out of him. Um, Romeo is a one goal a season man. Lamina is not a goal scorer. If, if you if you go back through our, our you know, Tadic doesn't score anywhere near enough goals as he should do. Um, Redmond doesn't either. Um, you know, our... Yes, our centre forwards aren't scoring enough goals. I think that's that's clear to see. Um, but also, the rest of the team just doesn't chip in with enough. You know, we've got a right back who plays very attacking and has played, what, 100 games for Saints, probably, and has never scored. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's in, in, the, in the modern game, you see right back score. Ward Prowse doesn't score enough goals for a player of his, you know, alleged talent. Um you know, like there's edge talent. There, no, but you know, because we have to be honest. Like the game is about a lot more than taking free kicks yeah. and corners. There's a low. Otherwise, every, it's like why you don't see the people at Leicester Square doing amazing keepy ups. They're not professional footballers because there is a thousand other things to it apart from that little bit yeah. of skill. And you know, it's exasperating to watch. Like we just don't have goals from anywhere in the team. It's not just the strikers. It's absolutely anywhere. So, I mean, let's go back a couple of seasons when we were scoring goals. Sadio Mane got 11 goals from kind of like wing forward position. Graziano Pella, 11 goals. Not a great return for a centre forward, but, you know, nevertheless, double figures. Shane Long, 10 goals, also double figures. Uh, Tadic, 7 goals. Stephen Davis, 5 goals. I mean, that season we had goals. There you go. You had five players all 
with five or more goals. He also had a few goals from Van Dyke, Yoshida, Romeo, Ward Prowse, Font, um, etc. So kind of goals throughout the team. And then this season it's just been so poor, isn't it? Yeah. And they they look devoid of confidence. Um they really do. I mean it sorry to be so negative, but there's a lot to be concerned about. Right, so Tom, have you heard of, I'm going to take a little change of direction here, and perhaps this can explain our lack of goals. Do you know about XG? I'm a simpleton. You tried to explain it to me earlier. I didn't understand it. Please do so again. Right. I mean, I'm not sure if I can find a very simple definition of XG, but essentially it stands for expected goals. Um, And so this is... um, tries to explain the difference so if you had a game and each team had 10 shots now on the stats it would say you know Southampton 10 shots Burnley 10 shots let's say all of Southampton's 10 shots were from outside of the box you know just speculative that's not too hard to believe and let's say all of Burnley's 10 shots were you know or 10 chances were inside the box you know from headers from crosses but you know all right in front of goal so essentially, the long-range speculative shots have a lower rating than the close-range, you know, really good chances, unmarked penalties, open goals, etc. So for an open goal right in front from the six-yard box, you'd probably get an XG of one. And then for a shot from behind the halfway line, that is where you get you know, practically a zero. A Charlie Adam from the halfway yeah, line. Yeah, exactly, because you're not likely to score from that. So... From your 10 chances in a typical game with Joe average striker, if you had 10 decent chances, you'd get an XG of, let's say, three. And that's how many goals you'd have been expected to score. So, is that clear? Yeah, I think so. It's, or, about, it's about quality, not quantity. Yeah, exactly. It, it kind of tries to give you an idea of a, a measure of the quality of the chances that you're getting. So, I've brought up some stats here. So 2016-17 season, so the Claude Puel season, full season in, and Southampton scored 41 goals. And we got very, very frustrated. The fans got on Claude Puel's back. They felt that we were unexciting at, at St. Mary's. So Southampton got 41 goals. The actual expected goals uh, was 50. So it means that we created 50... Well, enough chances that you would expect us to get over 50 goals, which would have put us on 55 points um, and just above Everton. So we'd have finished seventh in the league, that would have been in a- the XG league. So if our, if our strikers were as good as Everton strikers, which let's face it, they weren't, they were yep. Romano Lukaku last season, um, we'd have finished. And so, you know, you can say that the team played well enough. The team creates chances. The team created enough Good chances, chances as well. Yeah. Like good, not only enough, but, but quality scorable chances. Yeah. And so that was last season. So let's fast forward to this season. And after 11 games, Southampton have a grand total of nine goals. And they have an XG of 14 goals. So from the chances that we've created, we should have scored five more goals than we have. Which would have made a huge difference, I assume. Well, it would have had us on 15 points. And we're on 13 points. So... Actually, I mean, not a huge difference. Two more points. Um, that's perhaps like holding that, you know, 
victory, that hold, holding that lead against Brighton. And then you, there you would have it. That would be kind of like a fair representation so with like our average strikers. So how many more points? Five more points? or No, just, just two more points. Just two points. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, holding on for that victory against Brighton. Yeah. So six more goals, only two more points in terms of the kind of XG table. And that would have us um, up into about eighth position. So this is going to be Pellegrino's argument here, is that he's got the team playing well enough that they should be in eighth if they were taking the chances. You know, the, the manager's not actually on the pitch. Is it, I guess in a way you could say that the manager's job is to create the highest XG for the attackers and the lowest XG for the, their keeper to face. I'd, I'd be fascinated to know what our for X, our, our against XG is. Because we don't concede many chances. I don't know if that's even a thing anyone could possibly work out. But we don't concede many chances, I, I would have thought. Um, our XG against is 13.38. And we've actually only conceded 11 goals. So that means that from the way that we've been playing, you'd have expected us to actually concede a couple more. So for, so further in the cap, Fraser Forster. I mean, yeah, but, but potentially. <laughs> Take anything we get right now. <laughs> I guess, I mean, you could say the game against Crystal Palace, for example, that was a game where they had two really, two good really good chances. That yeah. um, most other teams would have expected to put at least one away. And interestingly, Crystal Palace, their XG um, is 12 and a half. And they have also, um, how many goals have they scored? They have only scored four goals. God, we think it's bad for us. Yeah. So... Trying to explain that away. So essentially what the XG is telling us is that Claude Puel should have had more goals and we could have potentially finished one position higher in the league. Would Claude Puel be in a job? I absolutely think he would have been if we'd finished one position higher. Yeah. I mean, if we'd performed and got as many points as Everton had last season and qualified for the Europa League. He'd be the Messiah. I, I don't know if he'd be the Messiah because the way that we played was still a little bit more turgid. But if, if we... If we'd got the results, people would have been happy, essentially. Um, and you could argue that with Pellegrino, if we were in eighth position, we'd probably be a bit happier. I mean, the fact that it would only be a two points difference from where we are now, I think there would still be some question marks, and quite rightly so. If you look back at, let's look back at our last five fixtures, shall we? And I'm pretty sure in a podcast a few weeks ago, we kind of looked at this run of five fixtures and we said, away at Stoke, home to Newcastle, home to West Brom, away at Brighton, home to Burnley, 15 potential points there. We were expecting probably a return greater than 10. I would have put us down for 11. I mean, I'm always optimistic, but I'd have put us down for 11. Yeah. And the reality is, is that we've got five points out of that possible 15. What, three of which won by an, an unbelievable wonder goal, the likes which we'll probably never see again. And actually, if we look back across the season, game against West Ham, which we won 3-2, despite the fact we were 2-0 up when they went down to 10 men and they got back into the game and then we got a last minute penalty. Which was a penalty, but not the strongest penalty. Yeah. Um, and then we had the Terrible result game. against Palace. Palace. Who were, who were awful. Who you know, in a real rut, but they still created two really good chances. Yep, they did. That we and, and also, we didn't murder Palace and were kept out by a brilliant goalkeeper, we were still pretty poor going forward. Yeah. So, should we be worried about what this season holds? Yes. 
Okay. Because of a number of reasons. There's three teams. I mean, this sounds ridiculous. We're talking about going down, but there's no reason why we can't. And the two teams that were meant to be the absolute whipping boys that were meant to be getting hilariously spanked every single game, Brighton and Huddersfield, are not, for some reason, they're not doing that. So all of a sudden, there's two places there. Assuming Palace go down. Yeah. Well, and West Ham United have just appointed David Moyes. God, that's... Again, you know, better that, you know, God, we're glad. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Clawpoel will not get Leicester relegated. Leicester, no way. It's him with Mares and Vardy. And even even like Okazaki. Okazaki is like their Shane Long, isn't he? Like a player who, like, if you look at what Okazaki is doing for Leicester, that should be like our Shane Long. You know, like... A, a, a player that you bring on, plays with heart, plays with a smile on his face. It and, causes all sorts of trouble for people. Yeah. It scores unglamorous goals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. Um, so who's, who's going to go down then? Say... I'm writing off West Ham United. I'm writing off Crystal Palace. I would love to see West Ham go down. I mean, I think there's a very good argument that the, the bottom three, as it stands now, West Ham, Swansea, Palace could all go down. Um, I would love to see West Ham go down. It would make me blissfully happy. Um, what, 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 what's the real resentment towards West Ham United? Isn't they horrible? Isn't everything about West Ham, um, isn't it just all horrible? Like the way they got the stadium and the way they've got, they just fill their team up full of past it overpaid has beens and the way that they all think David Noble was the best player since Maradona and the way that there's a thing called Andy Carroll and that Fonte's there. There's just so much to dislike. <laughs> it's a veritable opera of can, things to Can hate. I tell you the one thing that I do like about West Ham United? It's it's the only away game that I can walk to from yeah. my house <laughs> in fifteen right. minutes. We we, get, we have to go to that this year. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't mind if. It, I mean, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this like, oh yeah, I wouldn't mind if they get if they stayed up just because it's a nice away game to go to. But actually, looking at that, I don't know if I can necessarily see Bournemouth going down. I don't think Pulis ever gets relegated. Um, Everton with that squad really shouldn't go down. They won't go down. I mean, that would um, be a great one, but they won't go down. I don't think Stoke will go down either because they, they can pick up a result here and there. And they've got Peter Crouch. Yeah. I mean, it sounds silly, but we would, like, as a Saints fan, we would. I'd love to have Peter Crouch right now because he's scoring those ugly goals that we seem to be completely incapable of scoring. Yeah, and, and he keeps on doing it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and then the teams that you would have expected to be down there, um, Burnley, Brighton, Watford, Huddersfield. Got nosebleeds. They're all, they're all in the top 10. Seven to 10. That, I mean, it's incredible. And fair play to Burnley, who last season were whipping boys on the road, yeah. weren't they? They were guaranteed three points. They're, you know, they've only lost against Man City. And I think there's a, you know, they did very well in that game. they they're doing really well. And, and like I say, the Brighton and Huddersfield teams that everyone thought were going to get steamrolled yeah. just haven't. And it, it's, it's, it's good for them, but not great for us. No. I mean, Burnley are basically already halfway to safety, which is you know ab- absolutely great for them. So, you know, let's look at it. Are we going to pick up some more points in the next few games? We've got uh, away to Liverpool. I mean, God, I mean, that could be a cricket score. 
Um, we've got Everton at home. Yeah. I mean, my concern is after the, the home atmosphere. So Saints will have had three, over three weeks, about three weeks of being away from St. Mary's. Mm. If they're going to come back, if they, I think it's safe to say they're probably going to get murdered by Liverpool. They're going to come back and play Everton. If the Saints, if they don't, if the Saints fans get on their back early on, who knows? And uh, then we're away to Manchester City. That is, I mean, I don't even know why they're bothering to play that game. <laughs> they should, the FA should just, you know, like when uh, teams don't turn up and it's just given us a 3 0. Like we uh, you'd take that. Would you take that? You'd take that because that's almost as good as a point. Uh, you take that. The thing that upsets me about this game is that it's a Wednesday night and uh, you basically can't get a train back from Manchester after the game. Is it on TV? Is that why they've done that? A Wednesday no, night I, I, think it, I think it's just a midweek game. You know, they start to get a little yeah. bit of fixture congestion now. But, but, you know, perhaps that's what Saints need. You know, quick turnover of fixtures. You know, get all these losses out of the <laughs> yeah. way. Um, storming through in the last third of the season. And, you know, and then we've got Bournemouth away, which, you know, again, you would like to see us win. But Good result last season. Yeah. J-Rod, who, by the way, is scoring goals for West Brom. And so well done selling him. I mean, he's, he's not necessarily set the world off. We've got Arsenal at home, Leicester City at home. Arsenal on my birthday. That could go horrible. Yeah. Um, then Chelsea away. And yeah, I, actually, if you look at our December fixture list, it's not. November and December is not pretty reading on the fixture list. There are definitely winnable games in there. But we've had the majority of the first half of the season's winnable games already. Yeah, and, and also we show no sign of being able to win winnable games. Yeah. So, I'm going to put it to you, Mr. Tom Parker. Is Southampton's style of football, the way that we're playing, better suited to playing the top six from last season. So bear in mind, maybe arguably you could say that our best performance of the season so far was against Manchester United, which so we you, lost 1-0. So you're, do you think this is because um, the bigger teams will come out and attack more and we'll get licensed to get in behind them, whereas you know we play against a Burnley and they sit deep and it's very hard? Yes, and our defensive organisation... Um, yeah, which is pretty good. We we do restrict teams to few chances. Should mean that we wouldn't concede that many. But the problem is, though, isn't it? You know, if it, essentially, if you give Burnley one chance and they score it, if you give Brighton one chance and they score it, if you give, Ma- if you give, Man City I mean, how many are you going to restrict Manchester City to? How that? many? What's Mane going to do to us? You know, like it's just, it, we've the goalkeeper's your last line of defence, and right now he just doesn't look like he has got it in him. Are we in deep at this point? Are we up the creek without a paddle? No, I wouldn't say yet. I would say we're not doing what you would hope a club of our standing and, and our squad can do. I don't think we're in big trouble. I think, you know, big trouble is, is Palace, um, uh, West Ham, you know, pointing David Moyes. That's Claxon ringing there. Um, I don't think we're in big, big trouble. I, but I think the problem is, is there just doesn't look like self-belief. And that's quite alarming. Yeah. So... What what do you think? Let, I'm just going to go for a kind of like, well, we're kind of between a quarter and a third of the way through the season now. We've had a chance to kind of look at the manager and assess kind of what he's doing. Where do you expect that we'll finish? What would you hope for? What would you hope our final position would be? Where do you actually think that we'll finish? 
I'd hope we'll finish first, but I'm realistic that it's not going to happen. I th- I'd hope, I think eighth would could be it would be an incredible result. I think we'll finish twelfth or thirteenth. Okay, and it will be a season of you know out in the Caribou Cup, whatever it's called. Uh, you know, we could end up going, you know, if we go out the FA Cup, like it's, it could be a season of real malaise. Yeah. And it will just confirm to Van Dyke and Bertrand um, and maybe Lamina, if Lamina continues to play as well, that this isn't a club where they can actually genuinely challenge for things. And that would be, you know, I think Van Dyke obviously knows that already, but we know that there'll be no shortage of suitors for these players. Okay. that I mean, that's, that's not great, is it? That's not what we're hoping for at the start of the season. I think at the start of the season, you're hoping for top 10, certainly, and knocking on the door of the top six, really. I mean, maybe not breaking into the top six, but seventh or eighth. But is this perhaps a very difficult expectation of Southampton to always be the best of the rest, as it were? So to be, always be the best outside of the really enormous clubs with the really enormous budgets? I think we've bought for years. We got away with turning over, selling expensive player, buy a cheaper player. Cheap player turns out to be bloody brilliant. Sell them on, buy a cheap player. Cycle continues. I think we've been found out. I think we don't think we've ever adequately replaced players. Uh, we've spoken about it loads before, but like Mane, if you can find a bigger climb down in talent from Mane to Redmond, I'd be amazed to see it. I don't think we, Pella, we spoke earlier, only 11 goals, but his hold up play in mm. terms of bringing other players into the game was, was among the best in the Premier League and his touch was fantastic. We and, never and, replaced and him. And do you think that's what allowed, you know, Mane and Long to get into double figures alongside yeah. him? Yeah. He was a battering ram. Yeah. You know, he, he was the best looking battering ram I've ever goddamn seen. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I do think that. And I, I want, I think we've, I think we've been, my, I think we've been caught out. I think the, the, Sooner or later, you know, if you fill a a Formula One car with not the right fuel, sooner or later it doesn't work. And I, I think we've been caught out. Yeah. But then, I, I don't know, the black box, as it's so famously called, is still producing, like, Mario Lamina. Like, wow. Yeah, but where's the young players? Like, I mean, how old what? is Lamina? Is he not young? He is, but where's, you know, Josh Sims? I know, well, I, yeah, I, know I, I know I have my Tom. boy band crush on Josh Sims, but like Josh Sims, Sam McQueen. Yeah. Um, these, you know, good young players. Ward Prowse doesn't look anywhere near the mm. team. He played against Brighton, did some nice free kicks. Didn't really look great. Apart from that, obviously it was dropped against, um, dropped against Burnley. Um, we've kind of, we're, I think we lost our identity a little bit. Because we were, our identity was pressing young British football players, mm. like pressing style of football with young British talent, bringing in young players. We kind of lost that. I don't really know what we stand for at the moment. Yeah. Now, what's the ethos? What's the philosophy? I, d- I mean, I honestly don't know. Yeah, perhaps that's a question that I could put to Pellegrino. Yeah, speak to your mate tomorrow. Yeah. So, Tom, I've got to tell you this little story. So, earlier this week, I was kind of sat where we are now in the Saints FC podcast studio with kind of air finger kind of quotation marks <laughs> going on here. This is actually my sofa. Um, and I was checking my emails and I had an email and it said, you're in the selection. So tomorrow I'm heading down to Marchwood, uh, which is where Southampton do their training, to play in a football match against uh, 
Pellegrino and his coaching staff. They're going to murder you. Yeah. Just so you know that. I mean, he has won three La Liga titles as a player and he's not yeah. particularly old. He's not old either. He's, and he looks in great shape. He's a very yeah. handsome man, actually. Um, so it's the UK sports media. I think media <laughs> in inverted commas for me. Hey, you know, we're part of the media now, man. Yeah. Um, by hook or by crook, have somehow kind of made it into the UK sports media uh, 11 to play against Maurizio Pellegrino 11. And we have a, apparently we're going to have a 20 minute Q&A. Uh, with Pellegrino. So, I mean, that's going to be quite interesting. And it is interesting if they ask, if they've got people like you there. Yeah. Because you have nothing to lose. You know, the national media, uh, and this is kind of my job, they kind of have to play the game a little bit. Yeah. But, like, you you got nothing to lose. I mean, I've never been invited to a Southampton media thing before. I mean, I guess. You might not be invited again. <laughs> it depends what I ask him <laughs> tomorrow, I suppose. <laughs> But it's going to be interesting to me. I mean, no doubt he'll be lovely and charming in person. Most people often are when, when you meet them in person. And, um, you know, there's there's so many things that I want to ask him, but there's going to be a whole bunch of people from the, the UK media, at least 11, um, that are going to be there in that Q&A. So I may not even get a chance to ask him a particularly a direct question. I'm going to give it a try, though. I hope he, I really hope he opens up with us and we get some good answers out of him. Either way, I'm going to record the Q&A and, and I'll pick the best bits to, to share with our listeners. I look forward to listening to that. Yeah. Um, in terms of my game. When was the last age you, you play, John? Um, I haven't played 11 aside for a very, very long time. My football career pre- peaked in a under 12 level. That's quite some time ago. Yeah. Um, over 20 years ago now. Friends of mine recently played football against some ex-Spurs footballers that you can pay like 500 quid yeah. and give them a round of golf. Uh, we're talking like Premier League footballers of like 20 odd years ago. They said they were still incredible. Yeah. Like fat men that are just unbelievably good at football. So watch out for this. Anyway, so um, we'll, we'll share all of that experience uh, with you guys on this thing. So I don't know. Do we have anything else to talk about today? I... D- I don't think so i'm sorry uh listeners that it's been a very pessimistic podcast um there are glimmers of hope yeah there are you know there's there's still incredible natural talent in bufau and bertrand and and still redmond um but there's just a bit of a fog over the club at the moment and we hope it lifts i hope it lifts as well i hope that we're going to get some surprise results against some of the big boys and and perhaps um you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, I suppose some of the good news for Saints is that we're not going to lose at the weekend because we're not playing at the weekend. Hurrah. We've got an international break and... Um, it's Brazil of all teams. Yeah. Brazil and Germany. Is that what it is? It's double, yeah, double header. Yeah, double header. Wow. Um, but I did interview Dean Hammond a few weeks ago and uh, I'll put that recording out next week. So there'll be something for the Saints FC fans to enjoy during the international break. And as long as the international break doesn't involve uh, Pellegrino breaking anything of yours, I think that'll be a good result. Yeah, if I, I mean, if I come back home with a broken leg because of Pellegrino, then uh, who, who knows? I, you obviously asked the, a too difficult question. Yeah. <laughs> you put a producer on you. Yeah, actually, I think the Q&A is before the game, so... Play nice. <laughs> anyway, fans uh, of the podcast, of the club, listeners, people that have just stumbled across this, thank you for getting through that 
you know, 47 odd minutes of a dissection of Saints. Not particularly great form over the last couple of games. Um, I'm certainly hoping that we're going to see a turnaround in fortunes. Um, you know, that that's that's what football's about. It's about hoping. And, and sometimes, you know, when you least expect it, you get a result. So, so who knows what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, once again, if you want to get in contact uh, on Twitter at Saints FC Podcast, Saints FC Podcast at gmail.com on email, you can always leave us a little review or message on whatever app you listen to your podcasts on or the iTunes store. Um, I think that's it from us. So uh, ta-ta for now, everyone, and, and um, make sure you tune in next week for the interview with Dean Hammond. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.